0: Welcome to the edition podcast. I'm very excited this week because I'm joined by lovely Shannon Morse. Hello, Shannon. Hi, Charlotte. How are you? I'm good. I'm very excited to have you on this show. Uh, We have a really interesting topic to delve into. Well, I think it's interesting anyway. And basically, this is going to be one of those shows where I don't do much talking and I just kind of shut up and listen. Um, (laughs) Because uh, since I launched the edition podcast, there's been a lot of talk about the kind of big industry industry side of digital media where apple spotify netflix all those kind of companies i've discussed but actually there's a very strong case that some of the most interesting things in the digital media ecosystem are not being done by those companies they're being done by individual content creators or smaller companies create you know of different types of creators and uh i have just happened to have one of the best of them on with me so Tell us a bit, for people who for some reason don't know your work, Shannon, which is just a disgrace, but for that <laughs> small number of people that don't know your work, tell, tell people about you.
1: Well, thank you for that introduction. I am honored. Uh, I have been working in YouTube and content creation since 2008. I got my start with a YouTube channel called Hack5, that's H-A-K-5 with no C. Uh, we talk about... I'm still on that channel and I'm talking about security and privacy and hacking and how everything affects your Internet freedom. And it's very, very fascinating and kind of put me down this rabbit hole of learning everything I could about DIY and soldering and everything I could learn about building my own electronics. Very interesting stuff. Uh, After that, I started branching out doing some work with other networks doing some work with other channels all of it is very much focused on consumer technology and learning about security and privacy for consumers and that's what I do today so I started my own YouTube channel went independent it's called Morse code which is a play on my last name of course, of course I feel like that's pretty it's obvious. It, you would have been banned <laughs> had you not called it that there was only <laughs> one choice I feel like it was the perfect name yeah, for a was, tech channel, especially yeah. one that has to do with, you know, security and yeah. privacy. It and was the only option code. available. <laughs> um, I'm also a licensed ham radio operator. However, I'm not practicing right now, so Morse code also works in very well. There, oh, nice, nice. <laughs> so nice. geeky, long term. <laughs> nice. Um, yes, this one has been fully
0: diagnosed, geek.
1: Yes, I'm a fully diagnosed geek. I have I have been diagnosed as a geek and a um, hardcore nerd, and sometimes a dork as well. Yes. I'm also an anime weeb, and I have a uh, <laughs> I have a YouTube channel completely dedicated to Sailor Moon. And uh, oh, yes, I forgot about <laughs> this. Yes, <laughs> that's more of I a mean. hobbyist channel, but it's also a um, it's a personal passion of mine is collecting. I have a whole collection room deg- dedicated to this anime. So if you're into that. I also have that one.
0: <laughs> but this is so important actually, because yes, what, what you're underlining is actually to, for creators, there does have to be an element of personal passion. Absolutely. Now, you can, there's all sorts of things you and I both enjoy and would never make our career choices. You know, I could make talk loads about sports or whatever but it wouldn't be the thing i chose to you know build my career and a business around but there does have to be a certain level of personal passion doesn't that cuz absolutely yeah you the amount of time you have to commit to producing the content you if you didn't love it you just couldn't get up and do
1: it absolutely and and i've done that kind of thing before for sponsors when i had no choice when i was working on channels or uh, shows that I did not own personally. So we we had no choice, but we had to cover those kind of things. And I often found that when I was doing that, it was so hard for me to pay attention. It was so hard for me to get motivated to write my scripts. I write all of my own scripts and I use a teleprompter to stay on target because I'm pretty sure I'm slightly neurodivergent. So it, it definitely helps. And see, this is, this, is, this is just Shannon
0: showing that she's infinitely more... <laughs> professional than I am you know (laughs) writing scripts and things that here's me with just a couple of notes and a you know a couple of web pages up and just going please (laughs) Shannon tell me or share your wisdom with me
1: oh my gosh I love writing scripts I I went to school for well technically I went to school for restaurant and hospitality administration but one of my passions when I was in high school was writing articles for our newspaper. Sure. And I did that for several years in high school. Um, so I bring a lot of what I learned from that journalism teacher and the professors I learned from in college and use that nowadays to write my own scripts. So if if I can't write my own scripts, or if I can't focus on a topic that I'm indeed passionate about, it is it's it just makes the entire job not worth it to me. It, mm. it feels... It feels like it's boring and but it feels a like a job. <laughs> it feels like a job and yeah. I have absolutely had a decades worth of just regular jobs working for other people growing up and that was something that I have absolutely put my time in and put my worth in and I learned a lot going through those kind of times and now being able to really focus down on things that i'm truly passionate about and finding an audience online who is also passionate about those things especially like security and privacy that's so valuable to me cuz i know that i'm i'm teaching people what i want to learn as well and that's really like my key factor whenever i'm i'm creating my, my topics and my segments is creating something that I want to learn. So I delve in and I go down a deep rabbit hole and then I want to share that information because it excites me.
0: Yeah. I think that that always came across even in the back in the days. I wish you hadn't said the date because now it ages both of us. But when (laughs) I was watching you on hack five, um, you know, there was, there was always an element of kind of learning with your audience as well. And then to some extent from your audience, which is always another great part of the kind of creator economy, which is, you know, people use the word community quite lightly now. But um, actually, when, you know, if you're doing this right, there is a genuine kind of online community and learning from each other, you know, someone leaves a comment in a video, and that teaches you something as much as your video has taught them something.
1: Yeah, totally. And I'm constantly learning. And that's something that I I totally tell my audience all the time. I always tell them, look, I'm not an expert in any of these fields. And I don't want you to think of me as somebody that you can't come to and ask questions because we're both learning and we're both trying to figure all this stuff out. Like we are humans. And I feel like if you really want to appreciate your life while you're here on this planet earth, you want to continue to learn and continue to educate yourself because everybody out in this world has had different experiences and we can learn something from each other
0: yeah and I, I mean I I love the sentiment and I love I love how often that comes through in your work and the work of lots of uh, other creators who I enjoy and I think first of all I should actually what we've been talking using this phrasing but actually I should ask do you are you is that the word you would use content creator I mean people yeah. sort of try and avoid the kind of influencer
1: term now but how would yeah, you how do you describe yourself I feel like influencer gets kind of a a cringy bias against it. And a lot of companies don't take you seriously if you use that terminology, but technically you are influencing people. And if you can show like a return on investment, if you can show click-through rates on a referral link, like that's influencing people to do something or to purchase an item. So technically you are an influencer, but I think because of this, this bias a lot of people prefer not to use that term so I usually use the term owner of my company producer and host and content creator yeah and those are kind of the titles that I choose to use
0: yeah influencer kind of conjures up images of you know kind of people with lots of normally young pretty girls on Instagram with lots of followers (laughs) you know posting sponsored
1: pictures I need to I need to talk to them because I still haven't broke through that Instagram algorithm. I'm still right, figuring it right. out. Right, <laughs> well, that's something
0: I, I do want to come on to, actually, kind of the battle with the algorithm and the battle more likely with the various algorithms. But you were hinting at kind of talking about to sponsors and companies and that mm-hmm. kind of business side of it. And I think, to be honest, if people are listening thinking, oh, I, I really want to do a YouTube channel, I want to do a podcast, I want to do whatever – um that's always the question like how do you make or it's suddenly the question their parents ask how do you make (laughs) money from this um and there are obviously lots of ways um we should just before we hit record actually uh I was trying to work out exactly how much this kind of influencer content creator economy is worth and there's all sorts of numbers banded around that you and I had both seen but um one that I saw on an article to before which I'll link to in the show notes Says there's 50 million independent content creators and curators. Um, uh, This generation of micro entrepreneurs is currently valued at 20 billion US dollars. And there are estimations that this year it could grow to 104.2 billion, uh, uh, become a $104.2 billion market. Uh, And there'll be 800 million in venture capital invested in these creator ventures year over year. Now, that was an article, as I say, written for Forbes by the CMO of Apploving called Katie Anton. So, you know, they're fairly sensible numbers. It's gonna it's almost impossible to really put a figure on these kind of things. But when you started your kind of fully independent journey, what were the routes you were looking at to kind of take your place in that market? If that's not
1: too personal a question to No, that's not too personal at all. I I actually love talking about that because I want to help other content creators build their own, uh, build their own income and be able to live off of that income, be able to quit their full-time jobs. And to hearken back to your question, I did have a full-time job while I started my content creation. I was working full-time at a bank, (laughs) that was my day job. I was working at eight to five, and then I was working on hack five, After work, once a week, we did a YouTube video and we would post it. Sometimes we would have to record twice if we forgot to turn on the microphones and we would record until two o'clock in the morning. (laughs)
0: Classic. We've all done it. She says nervously checking that she's hit record.
1: Yes. I know. I'm like, Uh, is my mic working? uh, Yeah. (laughs) Is my camera on? Now I have I have like documentation in my studio that says, turn on your mic. (laughs) Don't forget to hit record on the camera just to make sure. Yeah. Just to make sure that everything is actually working correctly. Um, But once I started getting into it, I very quickly learned that it's so important to diversify your income. You you need to have sponsors. And in order to get those sponsors, you need to build your YouTube channel so that sponsors have something to look at that shows that you are valuable for them to work with. So as, as I mentioned previously, return on investment, click through rates, like all of that is really important for sponsors to look at so that they can see some kind of real purposeful data that proves that you can you can bring in that kind of information to them and if you hear my dog or my cat in the background that's because I have a I have co-workers today this is amazing I should say <laughs> I've been chuckling along I had to put myself on mute because um
0: I was chuckling along as a sm- the small menagerie in Shannon's house tried to get involved <laughs> I mean I'd love to have them on as guests but they probably don't know as much about the creator economy as you do so yeah um so proving your worth is the key yeah. point I'm getting from you. And also not just putting all your eggs in kind of one basket. So not just yes. saying, all I'm going to do is YouTube.
1: Diversifying your income or, is so I'm, important. Yeah. Especially because you can reach different audiences on different platforms. And mm. same thing with YouTube. You can reach a different audience on YouTube based on your different channels. So if you just want to focus on one channel and target one very niche audience, That's a great idea, especially if you are just getting started with building your community and trying to find a fan base trying to find an audience base, then having just one specific place where everybody knows that they can go to find you is a wonderful way to get started. But as you grow, you'll notice that There's particular types of content that you could put on your YouTube channel that people may not necessarily care about. And that's when you see a lot of these larger YouTube channels start diversifying into having separate channels like um, there's a lot of, in fact, I just did this, I have a tech channel Morse code, where I post security privacy and tech reviews for consumers. And then I recently built out a new channel where I moved all of my travel vlogs, all of my personal behind the scenes, vlogs, anything like that, that does not necessarily have to do with travel onto a new channel called Shannon travels the world. And that's where you can find all of my travel videos as well. So that way I'm diversifying my audience, but still reaching everybody that I want to reach, even though I have different interests, but I may not necessarily want to put all of those interests on one YouTube channel. And the same thing goes for different platforms too.
0: Yeah. And I assume it also is having multiple ways those different channels and different pieces of content can earn money. So maybe it's sponsorships, maybe it's the kind of programmatic ads. If you're using Google AdSense or some equivalent oh, service, oh, absolutely, yeah. You can't. You again, you don't just want to rely on one type of thing. Patreon, obviously, to add into the mix.
1: One content creator I follow on Twitter, his name is Roberto Blake. He's a expert when it comes to YouTube and somebody that I have. I've watched all of his content and learned so much from him in terms of how to grow my own business as a content creator. So definitely check him out if you haven't, Roberto Blake. Um, He recently posted on Twitter do you know which niche on YouTube makes the most money off of uh, monetization off of ad revenue from YouTube, from Google? And he teased this. He didn't answer the question. He asked everybody else to reply to this. Like, which one do you think it is? A lot of people were saying, Oh, it must be real estate. It must be finance. It must be the makeup. Oh uh, uh, yeah, yeah. There's so many different niches that you could kind of fall into and not every single one is going to pay out the same amount of money from ads based on the same amount of views. So for example, and I see this every single day on my anime Sailor Moon channel, that one makes pennies. It's, It's so low, but it's a hobby channel. So I don't care. Like I still want to post videos because I enjoy it. My tech channel makes three to four times more than what the Sailor Moon channel does based on the same exact amount of views. And that's because they're in different niches. So they're going to be targeted with different kinds of advertising. The channel that reviews toys, anime toys, is not going to be targeting the same kind of audience. It's probably going to be a younger audience, people that aren't going to be paying as much for you know to buy shirts from hot topic or toys from right stuff anime but on the other hand morse code is targeting a tech audience who are going to be buying cell phones and laptops and those obviously are going to sell for a lot more so picking your niche and targeting an audience if you want to do one that has a very good uh uh Uh, rate per thousand views for ad revenue then great especially if that's in your interest base like if that's something you're obsessed with anyway
0: that's the kind of the combination right it has to be valuable but if you're just doing it for the clicks and because you think it's a valuable niche no audience is going to buy into that are they
1: Right. Because you can see if somebody is truly obsessed or oh, excited right. about what they want to talk about through the camera lens. Pe- sometimes people say I look way too excited in my videos. Never. I'm just hyper. Like you, that's just who just I, just I am. You're just having fun.
0: <laughs> um, and let, let's talk about the Patreon non-advertising and non-sponsorship side of this. Because yeah. that's really the bit that's changed quite dramatically. And, um, you know, it's becoming really core to people who are starting these kind of businesses and, you know, work, starting to do this kind of work. Um, How do you differentiate the stuff that you put out for free? Do you do special stuff for Patreons? How do you how do you try and manage that?
1: It's, it's definitely hard to manage, it takes a lot of time. So if you aren't focusing on the free content that's available for everybody to capture an audience, Mm -hmm. then you're not going to be able to grow a crowdfunding platform like buy me a coffee or Patreon or Subscribestar or whatever you might use. It's going to be a lot harder if you don't have that original content that everybody can engage with because that's where you're going to find the people who are going to want to subscribe to you on Patreon or buy me a coffee. And I do offer exclusive uh, perks. For example, I do live streams. Like I do a a behind the scenes Q and a where I sit right here at my desk, just like I'm doing right now. And I answer questions from the people who are Patreon subscribers. Uh, they get exclusive access to a Discord server and I'm in there every single day. Um, some people get access to a phone number so they can text me if they want to. <laughs>
0: <laughs> of course,
1: one thing I had to learn about I would say two or three years into using Patreon was I had to set up my own code of conduct so that people understood that even if you are purchasing a membership with those perks, there is still going to be a specific barrier with how, how much I'm comfortable with giving you. So if somebody was to, You know, send me a message over text that was extremely uncomfortable, then I would have to show them my code of conduct and say, Hey, this is your first warning. If you do this again, I will unfortunately have to block you.
0: Yeah, take your money back and thanks very much.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um,
0: (laughs) uh, And I think that's particularly, I'm pleased you raised this because I think it's particularly important for female content creators. Mm -hmm. I think it's much, I mean, much more of a thing. I mean, there will be, Uh, content creators from different uh, minority groups as well who will raise similar kind of issues. But I think a lot of those will be, cut. you know, there'll be women in all those different types of groups as well. So I I do think that actually a woman putting yourself, particularly on camera, um, that is quite a big thing and something that needs you need those barriers and something to manage.
1: Yeah, it's definitely... Also, something I had to learn over time. (laughs) There were things that happened very early into my career that I I was way too naive at the time to understand um, were situations that I shouldn't have been put into. But now, as I've grown as a content creator and as I've learned how to manage my own business and how to manage my online community so that it's a good, welcoming community, there's a lot of things that I now know that I should not have dealt with in the past and you can even make a comparison to to working in a corporate job and having to report something to HR I don't have an HR. So I am my own HR. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times I have to teach people who come into the community, Hey, this is okay. Or this is not okay. And if they don't respect that boundary, that very, very clear boundary that I have made, then unfortunately they can't be a part of that community. Yeah. Your house, (laughs) your rules. Um, Exactly.
0: (laughs) I should say that you and I have had this conversation on my previous show, but that was a while ago. And I think it's fair to say that the world of the of creators of influencers even as we talked about earlier and in this whole economy and segment of digital media has changed quite dramatically since we last spoke how as being so part of it how how have you found that
1: uh which part like just being well, a part just, of the
0: just how I mean, I would say in lots of places it's now, you know, people with serious YouTube followings are taken much more seriously than they were previously, mm, for instance. Yeah. I think people understand it more as a path and a thing that you can do and build a business around. But also there's still, you know, some of the downsides, and there's new platforms. Um, you were, you know, I asked you before we came on air, are you on TikTok and how do you manage that? There's there's lots <laughs> of things that have changed and either gone away, decreased in importance or become more important over the over recent months. And oh, uh, my gosh,
1: there's so many ways that I could answer that. I mean, from from a business ownership perspective, we still run into a lot of Um, boundaries and things that set us back. For example, if my husband didn't have a regular salaried job, then we probably wouldn't have been able to buy a house because they wouldn't take my income into consideration, since it's slightly varied every month, even though Patreon is a main source of that income and buy me a coffee and, you know, subscriber memberships like that, which keep it pretty, pretty close to normal every month. Uh, there is some variances. And when you go to a bank to apply for a loan, they're not necessarily going to consider that unless you make a boatload of money. And a lot of content creators were now realizing, and a lot of people are coming out and talking about this are middle income. And that's where I fall. I'm definitely a middle income content creator. Like I, I get paid a pretty much normal wage, if you look at it per hour. And it's not something that would allow me to like buy a yacht or anything like that. But I was able to, you know, save up for several years and buy a house, but it was still very hard to do so and get that loan in order to put that in place. Um, We run into boundaries when it comes to dealing with sponsors, a lot of sponsors still don't understand how important it is to look at watch time as compared to just subscriber number. Mm. Subscriber number is like clout. It's a status symbol. But that does not necessarily mean that you have the influence to draw in people to trust you. So a lot of times, you'll have tons of subscribers, but nobody's clicking on your referral link because they don't care. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> they, they may not they, actually watch your videos. They just
0: want them maybe to watch the two minutes to get an answer to one question, and then that's the end yes. of that. Yes, you you don't have the kind of in depth relationship. Um, and how do you deal with kind of spreading your content over things like TikTok, as well as Instagram? Um, of I don't know if people. I think we are over the Facebook pivot to video, but um, yeah. <laughs> you know, how you know how much do you want to give away? How how do you balance all those things?
1: Oh, no, go for it. I'm more than happy to share. I'm an open book. Yeah. Um, but but ha-
0: so, you know, with TikTok, for example, do you go, oh, here's mm. a little, here's my favorite minute or three minutes from this video I did. Yeah. I'm going to re-edit it.
1: Yeah. So, one thing that I have been trying to start getting more into is YouTube shorts, mm. TikTok videos, all of those like vertical style videos in order to try to capture those different kind of audiences on different platforms, like we had mentioned previously. Um, I've noticed that I've kind of figured that out on Instagram. And Instagram does offer bonuses for plays uh, for some creators, but they have to enable that. They have to invite you into oh, so al- this is the kind monetization. of monetization.
0: Right. This is the world of kind of um Creator funds, we're talking now.
1: Yes, yes, exactly. So I have gotten a little bit of money from Instagram, a couple hundred dollars over the few months that I've used it, which is really low, definitely, compared to YouTube views, but it's it's okay, it's there, you know, it's beer money. Um, the way that I have incorporated this into my work life as a traditional YouTuber is to really focus on editing videos on my mobile device. So I will use Adobe Rush on my Android phone, and I will upload the same one minute video to TikTok, YouTube shorts, and Instagram reels, because all of them allow 60 second videos. And then I can do separate edits on each platform so that they're engaging different audiences. So I'll use different music depending on what's trending per platform, or I'll use different kind of subtitles really just kind of depending on what's trending on each of those platforms. But that way I'm reusing the content. I don't have to re-edit and waste a bunch of time doing a bunch of different videos, especially if it's not going to hit as well on talk TikTok, for example, yeah, as it yeah, would yeah. on Instagram. Like I had one video that I uploaded to both TikTok and Instagram. It did like 25,000 likes and 250,000 people viewed it on Instagram. And I made like, I don't know, 50 bucks off of it or something pretty low. Um, on TikTok, it got like 300 views, (laughs) same video. And I was like, okay, I I kind of understand this algorithm now. I'm kind of getting it, but it's still kind of a puzzle.
0: Yeah. And there's some people who have really captured it. And as you say, it it really is a puzzle. And particularly if your background is in the longer form of videos, Mm. yeah, it's an interesting space to watch develop. Um, I I was just thinking also about kind of the written side of the creator economy. Obviously, I'm running the edition over on Substack. Um, Please do subscribe. Take out a paid subscription. It's lovely. You'll love it. Um, And, you know, that's opened up another set of opportunities and revenue for lots of people. You know, maybe whereas you'd previously start a blog, you know, you have the newsletter space, a paid newsletter space now, which, and then you can diversify that in lots of the other ways you're, you're describing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I, I, so it's, I just think there's, there's a lot of space out there for lots of people, but of course is making sure you're the signal in all that noise. Right.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of that comes down to being real and really loving what you're doing, <laughs> having, having that honest Um, love for whatever you're contributing to a community and not just focusing on yourself, but also focusing on how you can be a part of a contributor to other people too. Like in the Sailor Moon community, I'm a huge proponent of teaching other people how to like purchase things from Japan, which is very complicated when you're talking about shipping internationally and buying from these companies. Um, I'm a huge proponent to trying to teach people how to spot bootlegs. And I think giving back to the community and not just focusing on like making my own YouTube channels, YouTube videos, but also commenting on other people's Instagram pages or sharing their content. Like that's also a really big part of being a part of your own community so that people see you as a a contributing factor.
0: Yeah. I think that's really important. And I just, my final question on all this really is you've just, what you've described in the kind of last half an hour or whatever, it's a lot of work. It's yeah, (laughs) and not only, and you know, lots of people work lots of hard and that's fine and it's nice when you're working hard on something that you love but there's what I was hinting at before there's a level of blurring between the personal and professional mm-hmm. um and that is hard for creators to to differentiate as well isn't it and to you were talking yeah. about boundaries before but it's never just between you know what's okay in your community it's the boundaries for yourself as well
1: absolutely and I've had to make like a clear labor boundary for myself so that I don't Overextend myself, uh, which I have done in the past. I've definitely burnt out just from working way too hard and not giving myself any time off. Uh, and now I've set a schedule for me. Like, I take a really nice relaxing bath on Sunday nights and watch yeah. a video of my choice. Like I watch a movie or something. Um, when I'm recording my B-roll, I turn on some really cool music during the day, or I listen to like a true crime podcast or nice. something that like has nothing to do with what I'm doing, but it's something that I truly enjoy. Yeah. Um I make sure that I get off work at 5pm. And I make it very clear in my emails, whenever people email me, I'm only available between these times Monday through Friday, and then I have the weekends off, I don't work on the weekends. And if I do work on the weekends, it's just like, you know, playing around on social media. And sometimes that may involve, it might involve like a photo edit or something, but it's not going to be working in my studio editing, recording full videos, like nothing like that.
0: No, it's, it's really important. Well, Shannon, thank you taking the, for taking the time to, uh, to explain all this and to give some people an insight into the other side of the digital media ecosystem. Where can people keep up with all your lovely work?
1: Uh, you can find me on YouTube, youtube.com slash Shannon Morse, just like my name is spelled. Uh, Twitter is the best way to contact me if you ever want to actually speak with me one-on-one Uh twitter.com slash snubs or at snubs, S-N-U-B-S. And I also use that same handle on Instagram as well. Uh,
0: I'm at Charlotte A. Henry on the Twitters. Of course, you can subscribe to the edition newsletter at theedition.substack.com. As I said, please do take out a paid subscription. It helps keep the whole show on the road. And I'm uh, there's still a slightly reduced rate going on at the moment, so get in while I keep that going. Um, but until next show, thanks very much for joining me, and I'll see you then.